0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life. Be real! Welcome, one and all, to your movie reviewing, reappraising, genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This is Be Real. I'm Chance Solom pfeiffer And I'm Noah Ballard. Noah Ballard, how are you, man?
1: You know, uh, my wellness is at a 10 out of 10.
0: Uh, Excellent. Can't go any higher.
1: Can't go any higher. Had the week off, uh, hanging out with good people, watching good movies. Well, watching movies. And uh, now here uh, Sunday morning, recording a podcast with you, my my, uh, common-law spouse, Oh, and wow. then my, my work spouse has joined us as well.
0: Yeah, let's focus on the hanging out with good people part. Uh, who's with us and why are we here?
1: My work spouse, Elise, uh, who's home in upstate New York I'm currently recording from, uh, has joined us. Uh, Elise has just muted herself on the Zoom. Well, no,
2: I'm just waiting for a natural pause to say hello. Uh,
1: Elise, <laughs> <it>. say hello.
2: <laughs> hello. No, it's Thank my you so spouse. much for
1: joining us. You have and a lovely home here, um, despite the zoo-like uh, feel Thank of all you. the animals running around. We're
2: also joined by 14 dogs, 26 cats, several ferrets, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Oh, ferrets are wonderful animals. They're so clean. Yes. <laughs> um, guys, can you define the concept of a work spouse and parlay that into what movies we picked today?
1: Well, I think this has been a really good exercise for both of us because I think, in fact, the movies have helped us better understand what our working relationship is, uh, specifically broadcast news. Um, But yeah, so we're talking about broadcast news from 87, Jerry Maguire from 96, and then 2015's The Intern. Mm
2: -hmm. That didn't answer Chance's question at all. So I'm going to just plow right through.
1: This is why I have you on for accountability's sake. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the whole concept of work spouse is a and, and I think anybody who's worked in an office might have an inkling of what this is. But it is a relationship that has um, both the drudgery, but also the intimacy of a marital relationship these are first and first most platonic relationships which is something that we'll get to when we're talking about the movies here because they kind of blur the lines in a lot of respects but a work spouse is somebody who is like your person in the workplace and um with whom you share intimacies confidences and they are also something that we'll get to with the movies ideally a peer it doesn't work to have a work spouse where they are your boss or you are their subordinate. And um, something that I had a really hard time explaining to my dad yesterday. You're not a work spouse if you're actually already spouses. He did not understand that part. He just thought married people can also be work married people. and It's not a it, spouse you put to premise. work for you. Yeah, he said, well, Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt. That is not a work spouse. Classic,
1: classic work spouses.
2: Other other recommended stories here Jesus and Mary
1: Magdalene, wasn't that one? (laughs) Jesus
2: and Mary Magdalene, um, which they did work in comms together, we established.
1: They were were part of a larger marketing firm that was taking off.
2: Yes, but um, part of the reason why this line of inquiry even came up is because... Noah and I had a really hard time finding anything in this genre. Everybody treats the office, for better or for worse, as like a meet cute space. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but we were interested in going and finding a depiction of this, considering the fact that both of us say that we've had workspaces, every place that we've worked at. Like this is such a ubiquitous dynamic to me in my life. Over and over and over again, and so I'm very surprised that it's not represented in film very much. It is represented in TV ensembles a fair amount, mm-hmm. but we're not seeing it. And anyway, I don't want to jump to the end of my conclusion here. But this was the main challenge here. We we really racked our brain. We tried to come up with a lot of different options and ultimately we landed here. And some of them do do a pretty good job of depicting the idea of work spouse, and some of them, not at all. But it is a dynamic that I think should be represented in film more.
0: I love it. That was well explained. Um, I should say, before we proceed too much further, uh, that Be Real is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find all sorts of other terrific shows, such as The Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, Binge Worthy, Yellowstoners and more. You can find the feed pretty much wherever you get your podcasts and we always appreciate a kind rating or a comment uh, if you don't mind. By the way, if you were wondering, work spouses, why now? Broadcast news, why now? Well, in addition to needing no reason to talk about broadcast news, Albert Brooks turns 75 on July 22nd, an absolute luminary and auteur. We're going to talk about him plenty more. Let's do it.
1: 1987 broadcast news take two rival television reporters one handsome one talented both male add one producer female mix well and watch the sparks fly
0: that's the imdb synopsis for this movie
2: it's not very accurate at all ready vtr
0: one and two ready on camera one with key three all right and two get ready one and cue them and go all remote standby, please. This okay, we're going real. to George. Say the, the F-14 is one of the, to to oh, the F-14 Tomcat, one of
1: the most difficult planes to master. Executive producer. I'll tell you something else, you know, I'm getting less and less airtime. They don't think I'm at all anchor material.
2: I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups.
1: Is there any particular area
2: that you feel strongest
1: in? To be honest, I was best at anchor.
2: So you have almost no experience and you can't write.
1: But I don't know. I can learn what I do
2: know. Nobody can teach. I'll buy you a drink. There's a big thing um, going on over at the Italian embassy. I'm not sure I'd be good company tonight. I am beginning to repel people. I'm trying to seduce.
0: Wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive? If needy were a turn on?
1: Incredible, who's here? Me. Let me just be your most trusted friend now, the one that gets to say all the awful stuff, okay? I guess. You can't end up with Tom, because it totally goes against everything that you're about.
0: So, this is uh, James L. Brooks writing and directing. Uh, It's his follow up to sweeping the floor of the 1983 Oscars with terms of endearment. He, if you don't know James L. Brooks, of course, uh, just as famous for directing movies like this and as good as it gets as he is for co-creating The Simpsons and Mary Tyler Moore and Taxis, like a true television empresario of the late 20th century. Um, And was very, when you guys were talking about um, work spouse dynamics being depicted more often in TV, um, I mean, Mary Tyler Moore by modern standards, uh, the way that... Sure. Yeah. Not Lou Grant. See,
2: that's, this is a good example, by the way. Lou Grant is a boss. No, that doesn't work. Mary has a great thing going with Murray. That is a work spouse relationship through and through.
0: Clearly interested in that idea and, uh, the, the people that Noah referred to in the, in the tagline there, it's, uh, it's Holly Hunter as Jane. She is the uh, news producer at the Washington Bureau for a major network. Um, uh, albert Brooks plays Aaron he is the kind of intrepid but would you believe nervous for an albert brooks character reporter um and then William hurt is the kind of uh uh derpy golden retriever um of a uh, of the incoming sort of backup anchor um he's he's handsome but he's bad at his job he he actually lacks the requisite skills <laughs> to do to do the job um and this sort of love-work triangle ensues uh, between the three of them. This is one of my favorite movies, I'll just say off the top. Have, is it, is it, uh, do you guys have feelings about it? Have you seen it before?
2: Yeah, I I'd seen it before and I remember being blown away. Um, I love James L. Brooks and I saw it before I saw Terms of Endearment and I think that he's just so incredibly good. Walking this tonal tightrope of something that is fun, realistic in terms of the dialogue, in terms of the dynamics, but also has some pathos, some stakes. And broadcast news is, to my mind, an all-timer. It is such a phenomenal movie, in my opinion.
0: Very good.
1: I had seen this movie years ago and did not... I kind of remembered the gist of the plot, but did not remember, I guess, how damning it sort of is of the legacy media and TV media landscape that feels bizarrely resonant um, even right now. The whole idea of like layoffs and having that be a like a sort of looming dark cloud over good work and people not being paid they their worth.
2: I see. I don't even think that the the specter of the future of media is depicted in the layoffs as much as it is in this like big fundamental ethical question that serves as the catalyst for what the ending looks like on the basis of you know basically how much can you fudge the news and how much razzle dazzle do you oh, put totally. and how much production value so that was that you see the kernel of that initial question and of course you know and this is a media criticism podcast first and foremost so we can just for the next couple of hours talk about that absolutely
1: For the next 90 minutes we'll be talking about the the death of legacy medium
0: notice right now i have no second mic to capture me sobbing so if you hear that later you know that i i fudged it um
1: yeah good one
0: yeah the entertainmentification of of news and uh also
1: the yeah like the redirecting of the
0: news onto
1: the person reporting it you know the the birth of the maggie haberman if you will you know, where the journalists themselves kind of becomes the story because they're they are so intrepid or something, or so dedicated to the the thing that they're moved by it.
0: Yeah, or maybe sort of transitioning from like from a Cronkite sp- or like an Edward R. Murrow space to uh, um, Anderson Cooper or something. Yeah, yeah, something where like I'm my cult of personality is more part of the telling of the story as opposed to just like the. You know, former radio voice telling you what the story is.
2: Well, we definitely also thought of uh, Brian Williams in this as well. Definitely. So, a little um, bit of Because he's
1: speech. a liar. <laughs> James you L. Brooks, know,
2: it's we should all say. a very complicated and thin line between lying and just being emotional.
0: Yeah. Was I there? I'm too emotional to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, James L. Brooks worked in, he wrote, Uh, for a news division in the 60s. So this was him kind of coming back and intensely kind of researching this world that he'd been a part of two decades earlier. And a lot of the ethical questions that are raised uh, came about from him uh, listening to broadcasters and producers through these interviews and just discovering kind of how that world had changed in the time that he had gone away and worked in entertainment, Um, which coincidentally is very similar to what Cameron Crowe do, did with sports agenting in in the next movie, um, but yeah, let's let me serve you guys this one, and you you can run with it any direction you want. Um, movie love triangles. There's some classics, you know. There's Casablanca. There's a Philadelphia Story. Um, there's some modern ones that are beloved. Uh, Bella, Jacob, and Edward come to mind for some people. Um, but in terms of like true dimensionality, an equilateral triangle where, you know, every every point, every angle of it is, like, attracting and repelling the others, um, both, like, filling a need and also showing, like, a lack of something that should be there that cannot be permanently filled by the other person. Does it get better than this movie for, like, balance?
2: I feel like the question first has to be whether this is a representation of a love triangle
0: Okay. because
2: I feel like at no point does Holly Hunter's Jane presuppose or suggest or send any type of waves towards uh, Albert Brooks's Aaron right. at all. This is all yes, a fiction totally in his head, top to bottom, and I think that they have a really clear affection for one another. But what he needs and what she needs are completely different and disparate. And he's spending most of the movie kind of passive-aggressively going and trying to send little hints that, like, FYI, I'd sleep with you. And I think that she's like, yes, asked and answered. That's a little bit different from the affection that she feels for Tom, which is a much more balanced portrayal of like what romantic feelings can look like and how they can develop sometimes more neatly without the baggage of the friendship and also uh, given the like the stakes for her getting together with Tom are so much lower they haven't worked together for very long and they're not really in the same position whereas she and Aaron work every second together their molecules are entwined.
0: No, what do you think? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, Sorry, I was just distracted by looking at the Zoom and realizing that, like, you and I kind of look like uh, Aaron and Tom, respectively. You got your, like, swooped over blonde hair, and I'm just here being Semitic. Um, I think that this is the movie that really kind of interrogates the need for the work spouse. Like, I think what Holly Hunter is getting from albert brooks like to a point where they reach that friction of and it's a pretty i i I think through a 2022 lens like albert brooks does not hold up well uh in his 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 needs and what this relationship is feeding his ego but but at least for holly hunter it's that person that she can kind of confide in And, you know, Elise and I were laughing that we literally have those phone conversations, you know, early on, like the the ones that they share early on in the film, where it's like, let me talk about my problem. Okay, now can we do me now? And like we go back and forth like that. The first like 18
2: minutes of work spousery was so incredibly acutely accurate that we were laughing throughout because they would just say things that we have said over and over and over again.
1: Right, but then yeah, there's this—I don't know—there's this meanness that comes out of the Albert Brooks character. That's—I mean, we of course understand that he's hurt and jealous, etc., and is losing kind of that confidant. But to to presuppose that there needed to be some like reciprocated romantic gesture in order for this relationship to continue productively is kind of a sad a sad development i mean it's you know it's part of what what makes this movie i think pretty pretty deep uh but it is kind of a sad indictment of the male ego that friendship like that is not possible i've never seen you like this with
2: anybody so don't get me wrong when i tell you that tom while being a very nice guy is the devil this isn't friendship you're crazy, you know that?
0: What do you think the devil's gonna look like if he's around? God. Come on, no one's gonna be taken in by a guy with a long red pointy tail. Come on, what's he gonna sound like? Ah!
1: No. I'm semi serious here. You're serious? He that you- will be
2: attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit
1: lower our standards where they're important. Just a
0: tiny little bit. Just coax along,
1: flash over substance. Just a tiny little bit. And he'll talk about all of us really being salesmen. Part of the thing here, too, is
2: that with... Aaron and Jane, I mean, they're also doing a lot of field reporting. Like, they're in really high-stakes, emotionally heightened situations, and then they have to, like, be back in the normal work environment on Monday. And so I think that there's a lot there that's dissected in this really economical way with the dialogue and with the editing and everything that shows the full range of dynamism for a working environment that requires constant compartmentalization whether they're on the road at a conference together and speaking from like adjacent hotel rooms or whether they are, you know, in the field with San Mistas being shot at, they have to do a lot of different things. And I think that that's also part and parcel of where Aaron kind of skids off the rails a little bit and needs a lot, but they both need a lot in the, especially in the beginning. I mean, there's this, recurring bit where Holly Hunter is seen sobbing all the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there, there's both, there's something that is lacking for both of them in terms of the sense of like cohesiveness of their life and they've devoted every single bit to their work. That's also part and parcel of like what work spousery is t- to my mind isn't the, isn't the misery <laughs> of like your normal life but I think it also flourishes in an environment where you're not just like, you know, checking out at 5 p.m., going and living your life. It, it usually benefits from a work environment in which there is a lot to mull over and a lot to process and where it is possibly the focal point of your attention in your life.
1: I push back a little bit on the idea that the Holly Hunter character and the uh, Albert Brooks character are like lacking something. If anything, I I almost feel like the movie posits that there's they're just they're a lot. They're too much. And they need to sort of funnel their energies somewhere else. And it's like the other one does not have the ability to receive that energy to beyond a certain point. Like I think the sobbing speaks to the fact that Holly Hunter just needs to, like, get out this, like, primal scream every once in a while just to, like, keep going forward and has no one to receive that. But then when these sparks start to fly with William Heard, like he is kind of a vessel. I mean, I love that sequence where, you know, he's sort of on the fly doing the uh, the desk anchoring job and it cuts back and forth between like her shouting in his ear and him being able to literally receive her sort of frenetic energy, you know, modify that into something that can go into the world in a digestible way. And like the two really develop a relationship that has that kind of... It, isn't that bickering back and forth it's that sort of natural flow and that's kind of you know maybe what is attractive about that and at least by comparison to the the albert brooks one where i just like they're never gonna be that in sync and i think that's you know that's kind of the charm of developing the triangle further of oh finally someone to receive holly hunter and her weird
0: There is a scene of them being very in sync, which is the incredible, like, rush the tape to the... To the live feed scene at the beginning With the Bobby, 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 Bobby Where, you know, she hands Aaron the narration To record about the Norman Rockwell painting He nails it, he runs it back But that is more of that, like, team dynamic They're all part of the same organism The scene that you're talking about Which I think is equally wonderful Is, like, so much more sensually directed With her finger on the button As she keeps, like, feeding him the lines And you understand in that moment how difficult what they're doing is um because right. even though it seems like a slight movie contrivance where you can hear it all at the same time i i have no idea like how he's able to like hear that and register one sentence ahead it's quite it's quite a skill and then you have that incredible this movie was shot by michael bauhaus who shot goodfellas um that split diopter shot right at the end where it's just her Uh, Chin in a profile where she says Thanks everybody and you see William Hurt still down on the floor like they are truly Kind of of one mind occupying Occupying a shot that Were at a traditional frame they could not literally Occupy like true symbiosis has Occurred in that moment which is wonderful We don't Really see and correct Me if I'm wrong but really see a moment
1: Where this is To Elise's earlier point like uh, Where Albert Brooks is even on the radar Really of like having a romantic chance with Holly Hunter. And I, so I think that's kind of fascinating, um, you know, to, to think about maybe it's his his cruelty to her in the back half of the film is more about his disappointment at losing a friend to this other intimate relationship. But maybe, I don't know, maybe for him it's not even romantic. It's just like that's the only language he has to kind of communicate what he's feeling.
2: Yeah, it's possessiveness more than it's romance because it's not like he's right. putting forth this beautiful vision for what it would be like if they were together. It's just that he's like, I want to kind of own you.
1: Yeah, and if it's and then it becomes like, uh, you know, some of the cruel lines he has where it's like, can you imagine where we'll be in like seven years or whatever? And he makes that that joke, I guess, question mark, that, oh, you know, he, he'll be with his his wife and kids and then he'll have to tell the kids that when they run into her not to make fun of people who are like single and fat right like what a fucked up thing to say
0: <laughs> can we talk about how funny this movie is because um, i think that that's also a big way in which it succeeds it's not just this drama and the well-observed um work things but james l brooks does this great trick over and over again where he leaves people like laughing and breaking in the scene like william hurt very clearly breaks in the bobby bobby bobby, bobby tape handoff scene and it's in there. and he used that trick over and over again to show it only mean it only works because the writing is so good. but when you see the other actors laughing about like that line is so funny, it gives you like um, accelerated permission to laugh with them, I think.
1: I really thought uh, the Albert Brooks line, uh, where Joan Cusack was like, "You know at first, I was attracted to you." And he goes, well, that changes everything, and she walks away. I thought that was very funny. Um, I think before he gets dark, uh, Albert Brooks like really does have some nice dialogue to chew on.
0: It's a lot of alliteration from anxious anchors and powerful poses. I enjoyed that. And then Tom does keep doing that. He actually cannot stop himself from alliterating so much, I think, in the 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 date rate piece that he does. He also says like police are powerless, but to follow protocol kind of thing, he keeps doing it. Um, I love it when Jane at her speech, uh, when everyone's cheering at the domino video, which she's using to demonstrate that their industry is collapsing in on itself, everyone cheers and she goes, I know it's fun. I like fun, which only a very unfun person would have to scream that. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: I might be a Neanderthal here, but I loved the sweating. <laughs> I, thought, oh, I laughed sure. and laughed and laughed the whole time and the he hand keeps in the back and the jacket everything. the whole time. The the slapstick of all of that to me, I was LOLing a bunch too. I this is very much my type of humor. Yeah,
1: Elise loves sweat humor.
0: <laughs> At the end of that scene, the the backup Sunday producer's like, oh, "He wrote some beautiful stuff." <laughs> to just be like this is not this guy's arena
2: i love um also just to your point of like leaving things in not breaking i i loved um you know everything the the tension is dissipated and yet those musicians are in to go and play the oh my theme God. anything that was just this corollary addition like the you know an additional 45 seconds was to me priceless and the guy really knows how to stay with the scene Mm
1: -hmm. well that was the best that's the best part too they play this whole theme with the singing and everything and then uh peter hacks as paul moore goes uh i got chills and then immediately turns to doing something completely unrelated well
0: he says wasn't tom great
1: I love how Paul gets like beat up through this movie specifically when he's doing the layoffs. Cause he's like the, he's like the manager. Uh, he's like the corporate suit stooge that oversees everything. And he like walks out that old guy. He's just like, you know, I'm really flattered by the idea of like, uh, you know, being said early retirement or whatever. And Paul leans in, of course, like a like a bean counters. Like, if there is there anything I can do to like, you know, I can do for you. Let me know. And the guy looks back at him, who had previously been very affable, and he goes, "Well, I hope you die
0: soon." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I like Albert Brooks's um, more. Written directed, starring in cult of personality movies, Lost in America, a r- real life. I think Defending Your Life is great. Um, but he can be a lot. Um, yeah. and it's fun to see him put in this movie where he is asked to both just like suffer a little bit for having that personality and also just like play it a little more broad. Um, the whole joke of the Robert Prosky's daughter not remembering him and Robert Prosky was like Aaron, he went on that 14 day raft trip with us last
2: summer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wore the funny yellow hat. Um it it fits him. It fits him very well. Um, now
1: let me ask you this is his uh relationship with Sybil Shepard and taxi driver also a work spouse situation That's
0: a good question. A little uh little controlling in that one as well.
2: A B kind of sucks. Yeah, he's. I think he's typecast as a pretty controlling guy. Like defending your life, was one in which I wanted to slap him the entire time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's always investigating his own cowardice, uh, but doesn't make you always like like him anymore over the course of two hours. Right. Um, yep.
1: In his defense, in Taxi Driver, he was trying to keep her away from Travis Bickle, so. <laughs>
0: Well, gang, should we tell people how we uh, rate movies and then rate broadcast news?
1: Is this the point where you sing the song Um,
0: All right. Big finish. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care.
1: Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite,
0: Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you
1: hear me? Conversely, bad, good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate.
0: In my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad, bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating.
1: I think this movie is a good good colon i think as you just mentioned chance it's really really funny you know i think we were talking about like the larger sort of thematic and you know concerns of of media and whatnot but i just think it's a really funny movie about people working really hard and like not getting exactly what they deserve back uh, which is i think something is you know for three younger ish people old people uh Also currently, like, working really hard uh, in things that we care a lot about, it is relatable, that kind of misery that goes along with chasing one's dreams. Uh, And I think, you know, kind of in the work spouse sense, it really does give a nice flavor to why that role is essential like someone to kind of suffer through and be your cheerleader and your therapist and your friend and your drinking buddy, um, you know, and your confidant uh, and whatever it needs to be in that moment to keep the inertia and the energy going that you can do this extremely difficult thing. Good. Good.
0: Elise, you want to go?
2: Great. Good. Great. Um, good. And I broadcast news I remember when I first watched it, I was just super spellbound. I think that nobody does dialogue like this. Noah hasn't seen Terms of Endearment yet, so he is in for such a spectacular treat. He has no idea. But um, broadcast news is, yeah, an all-timer. Um, a the, the best depiction of, work-spousery that I can think of, but also just such an atmospheric, full world that has, nevertheless, dynamism in terms of the emotional relationships. It's not shoehorned in. It's also, like, it, I love the fact that we meet them all as children, first and foremost. Oh, yeah. And, and I, so I think that it's just structurally... So nice and perfect, and the window into the other thing is that it would be probably a pretty rote movie if we just saw them in the newsroom. But we see these people in all sorts of contexts and understand that work is still at the center of everything. But you're seeing, like, it's a, such a great career movie because I think that you know, if I'm watching. 13 going on 30. I'm going to have the broadest sense of what working at a magazine is like, but this is a movie you in which You take that back. Sorry. Well, this is a movie in which it does it especially if you if you're in a career that you're really trying to grow and you do have these ambitions, it does come with conferences and boring lectures. And occasional field trips, and that's the fun part. And then there are work parties. All of that stuff is what goes into a career. And so on the basis of its ability to go and capture both, like, the romantic stakes and what the heart wants and what the heart is lacking, but also the full depiction of what it's like to really care about your work and care about the people that you work with, 10 out of 10.
0: I'm in full agreement. Um, I think it's very important that the the movie is also just clear-eyed enough to be like, none of these people are, in the end, will solve anything for any of the other ones. Like, I think there's there are definitely people who push back on that epilogue being kind of a an ambling bummer. Um, Holly Hunter's haircut is a little bit of a bummer. Um, but I do love, in general, just that kind of... It's a true denouement of, like... You know, this was this was just this time where all of these people got in this office and impacted each other in different ways. Uh, but like, clearly, if they were ever going to succeed or find any like balance or levity in their life, it was going to be away from this three-person gazebo that they're now briefly reunited in. Um, so, what a weird ending shot!
2: Yeah, the fade out that's but yeah, that's like the little a little
1: screen going away cheesy with postcard thing yeah. yeah
2: i also yeah. have to say just on the note of holly hunter's hair being a bummer i mean one of the subgenres you guys might want to explore too are near-term future let's guess is the aesthetics kind of movies <laughs> like her because i loved i i you know doing my own mental calculus like what does that put him at like 94 or something like that nope. and uh i love it when or, um, I mean, it's a TV show, but like years and years tried to do this. I I I love uh, a show that goes boldly into, say, eight years hence, but sticks with the exact same aesthetics of yeah. present day. Nothing will ever change. And that's what's so beautiful about the movies. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever will.
0: Mm. Good goods all around. Should we move on to Jerry Maguire? 1996, Jerry Maguire... When a sports
1: agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former colleague. That was
0: a sentence. Wait, what? Who's the former? Oh, Dorothy. Okay, got it. Um...
2: Dorothy from accounting.
0: Dorothy from accounting. Uh, Dorothy Boyd. Yes. (laughs) So, *Sunglasses* the movie was directed by Cameron Crowe in 1996. Um, He's coming off of uh, *Of Singles* and before that, *Say Anything*. Um, Some have argued that this is the year, the the peak of Tom Cruise's career with this and *Mission Impossible*. Um, And it finds him in just the cruisiest of all of all movies. Have they seen *Top Gun:
1: Maverick*? I don't think we've reached the top. (laughs) You don't think we've
0: hit it yet?
2: this is tom cruise's year yeah not this year not top gun maverick 96. this is t- jerry mcguire tom cruise is unbeatable unless you're going to talk about interview with a vampire
0: i don't Which think we, we are.
1: are um <laughs> mixed mixed feelings on
0: that one i want everybody to see you for what you are the best kept secret in the nfl you are the man you ready Yep. Let's go, let's walk. I my name is Jerry Maguire. I'm a sports agent. You could say I'm at the top of my game, but something just isn't right. Jerry Maguire! What can I do for you? Rod? Uh, show me the money. Show me the money! Money! Can you sign my card? Sorry, little fella. I can't sign this brand of
2: card. Only Pro Jam Blue Dot cards.
0: And lately, it's getting worse.
2: Came here to let you go. Pardon me? I came here to fire you, Jerry. Don't
0: worry. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just (laughs) flip out! (laughs) Who's coming with me? Who is coming with me?
2: I will go with you.
0: Dorothy Boyd, thank you. We're going to be okay because I am going to take my one client and we are going to go all the way. Help me, Rod. Help me help you. Help me, help you. I wanted to say I'll when we when we picked button. these, uh, we really ended up with like three of the absolute rom-com Hall of Famers, and
2: oh, it, I would not call the intern a Hall of Famer. We'll get there.
0: Nancy Myers, the, the, the I had issues with
2: Nancy Myers too. I'll, we'll get there.
0: Okay then, for some members. of... <laughs> For the majority of the voting body of the hall, I would say that these are three com you We're hall the hall, at least. You're not in and, the hall. <laughs> um, I think what you get is like three directors that are like really playing with the form a little bit and following their own kind of personal interests and picadillos. Because um, I would argue that all three of these movies have maybe like 10 minutes of sprawl and or sort of searching to them where brooks is like this is what i was trying to say to you last night elise brooks is interested in like the the psychological profiles of the characters so he gets to wander that way cameron crowe is uh, interested in the kind of obsessive pop culture portraiture so he gets to kind of wander off and do like what would it be like if i did a whole monday night football in the middle of my thing and then nancy myers is really interested in like the making explicit the generational gender roles ideas. So they've all kind of, from from some members of the hall, earned the right to kind of wander out and make a two-hour and five-minute movie where they kind of do their thing. And Jerry Maguire definitely does its thing. Um, and in two hours of, and... 19 minutes <laughs> in No terms one of made a big and... deal about
2: the length of it I find that it goes down So smooth and <sighs> I Could have done two to three More hours of living in that world
0: The big The big thing I will say to that point Is that um, I actually think the the directing Assembly and particularly um, Joe Hutchings editing um, he's the guy who did JFK, which for editing nerds, like, was a real kind of watermark in in terms of, like, a new kind of collage and pacing and just sheer number of cuts. Um, you can feel that in Jerry Maguire. You could just get absolutely lost in this thing where, like, a scene, like, the, the scene where Kelly Preston punches him in the breakup scene, like, it, it doesn't start with, like, an establishing shot and kind of a walk around. It's just, like, cut, 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 find the joke, find the insecurity um, and then the way that the, the his mentor Dickie Fox sort of starts to become like a like a voice in the movie like the it's just it, you could really get sucked in despite the hefty runtime.
2: We talked okay. about that. We we felt like uh, I love the Dickie Fox. This is the probably the ninetieth time I've watched Jerry Maguire. Wow. And th- like I love this movie. Spoiler alert. Uh, this was the best, like the best viewing yet. I just was so like, oh my God, this movie hits. This movie really does the thing it says to do. I love early Cameron Crowe a lot, um, but- It's the only this Cameron Crowe one... you can like. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Aloha. And... <laughs> Aloha. Um, but this movie, I was particularly taken this time around with the editing.
1: At least, let me ask you this. Do you think that this viewing of Jerry Maguire was so much more meaningful because you are now an agent yourself?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I feel like that added a lot to it. It definitely also heightened the emotional stakes because after a week off, all I can think about are deals, deals, deals. <laughs> Noah and I were both thinking the entire movie about the economics of keeping the agency afloat and what a 4% cut, and what the the results and proceeds of this one deal are going to look like, and what the timing is. like All of it, I felt like, creates a situation whereby I better understand this guy impulsively plowing into a marriage because it's not only about him having to have a difficult conversation with Dorothy. And by the way, I'd always... Term this movie a movie about a guy who falls in love with a kid. Like, this is, to me, the titular example of that relationship. But what I'm seeing here now is also, this is the move. this is him trying to both avoid a conversation about, like, how do I feel about you? Am I capable of intimacy? But really, most, like, foremost can I pay for your medical benefits? (laughs) That's what this movie is really about. And so I think he marries her as part and parcel of like, well, she left for me. The economics of this make more sense.
1: Well, I think too the, the marriage and the proposal kind of, you know, it's, it, it almost feels like it's, it's also in that bucket of deals, deals, deals. It's like, this is something that makes me feel good. How do I convert on this? How do I close? And so instead of like growing up and moving forward, he falls back. Jerry falls back onto I'm an agent. Like how do I close in the room? You know, and he even admits like in you know that that one sort of um, the speech he gives to the in the living room. He's like, I was always the one they put in the living room to so, like meaning that you know he has had to convince parents to like have their kids sign with him kind of thing. And to, to really, to realize that like that's not going to work here, I think is the big arc of the movie.
2: I didn't realize before watching this time around, now as an agent, just how much it informs the way you think about how you relate to people in friendships and in romantic relationships. And when there's like a coalescing of all of those worlds too. So it makes So much more sense and is more layered because he's working through an identity crisis. That's the start of the movie is, oh, is this the way that we should be operating? And he's working through an identity crisis, but at his core, he doesn't know himself to be anybody other than, you know, I'm the closer. I think of things in terms of strategy and tactics and to be an agent is to go and line up the chess pieces or whatever. I don't play chess. But it's to to line, to have, <laughs> you, you want to have all your ducks in a row all the time because so much can go wrong. And he, and, and it's with any agenting too. His is particularly high stakes because a player can be paralyzed in an instant. So I think that that nervous energy in terms of the actual function of his business is so part and parcel of not only why he ploughs ahead with Dorothy but why he was on the precipice of getting married to somebody with whom there was there's no affection, no collegiality, but it made so much sense as like a power couple move.
0: Mhm. I should say that the Cameron Crowe also like a devout researcher, you know, former uh, Rolling Stone writer, as we know from Almost Famous. Um, but yeah, he then spent like 18 months with uh, with Lee Steinberg, who is a real life sports agent, who I don't think has a ton in common with Jerry Maguire, other than the fact that he did lose Drew Bledsoe as a client. Who was going to be the number one NFL draft pick? like the night before the draft? So that is primarily um, borrowed from his story as well. It's just like a lot of details about this world. Um for those don't know that that don't know, the the memo that Jerry sends out is based on a Jeffrey Katzenberg. Memo that he sent to Disney execs in 1991, um, kind of begging them to stop spending so much money on stupid sequels and prioritize story ideas. It's not quite nearly so noble as uh, Jerry's is, um, but it it is interesting. You can read it online. There's like a lot of um, there's a lot of insightful. It predicts many things, good and bad, about where like the movie industry is going. So those things are borrowed from real life. I want to follow up on the ideas that you guys were talking about specifically. Jerry and Rod's relationship. Rod Tidwell, for people who haven't seen the movie in a second, is Cuba Gooding Jr. in an Oscar-winning role, playing a a skilled but perhaps undervalued receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, um, who ends up being Jerry's only client for an hour and forty minutes of this movie. Um, what did you guys uh, make of how of how close and and sort of? Desperate and dimensional that relationship was. Is, is is that something? Is that is that a horror story for an agent? Like being like, I just have to hold on to this one client, or is it sort of aspirational how close they were? Nightmare client. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: disagree. What's funny,
1: you disagree? <laughs> well, yeah. I think yeah. I I say it somewhat uh, facetiously, but I, I also kind of mean it too. Where you know, I think the fundamental difficulty of our job is taking the square peg of the thing that this creative individual or this talented individual wants to accomplish and then putting it in the round hole of corporate interests that will allow them to do that financially and so I think in that transitional process it is you know it's like that scene where he's like are you asking me to dance and it some Aspects of our job is, you know, facilitating a certain amount of, you know, promising something that maybe requires compromise uh, and maybe like requires changing the fundamental idea or at least the way that, you know, the creative person or the talented person is communicating that idea. So I, I do think that this is a pretty kind of accurate look at you know, kind of that frustration that we deal with professionally, the idea of, you know, we want this thing to happen for you, but in order to do that, there is a process here and it's not just going to magically happen. It's going to be, there's the game and then there's the game on top of the game uh, and both need to be navigated, uh, you know, with a certain, uh, you know, uh, open to, openness to collaboration.
2: I would say that Rod is a perfect client for Jerry uh, because Jerry is pretty nakedly vulnerable um, and his agenting. style. I think that a lot of people agent with like, like the Bob sugar way uh, flash and sizzle and look at the infrastructure I have behind me. And then some people agent in the really emotion, like not emotional, but in a relationally deep way, first and foremost. And Jerry is somebody whose love language is so clearly through this movie to me, words of affirmation, and there are people that we all probably know who put loyalty at the top of their hierarchy of needs. Loyalty is incredibly important. Part of him feeling like he needs to have his ducks in a row, and so he marries Dorothy on the basis of, well, she's loyal, he says that really explicitly. With Rod, Rod's smart to go and put him through his paces a little bit because he's saying, I'm giving up all of this infrastructure. But that loyalty oath right at the outset, in so many ways, makes up for the fact that Rod is somebody who can be really stubborn in his vision and also wants to leapfrog and feels like I should be where I will reasonably be 18 months from now today. And I think that they have an open dynamic, which is served on the basis of the fact that they both took this real leap of faith for one another, need each other, have that sense of loyalty. Of course, you know, you can fire your agent at any time. That's always a subtextual thing in the background, and it's hard to be fully open considering all of that. But... I think that Jerry looks for that in all of his relationships, benefits from the explicitness, and benefits from somebody who can match his kind of uh, emotional vibration. I am a role model, Jerry.
0: I have a family to support. Hear me? I want to stay in Arizona. I want my new contract. But I like you. Yes, I like you, Jerry. My wife likes you. You're good to my wife. I will stay with you. That's that's great, I'm very happy. Are you listening? Yes. That's what I'm gonna do for you. God bless you, Jerry. But this is what you're gonna do for me. You listen, Jerry? Yeah, w- 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 what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me what can I do for you. It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. just want to make sure you're ready, bro. This old, it is. Scheme, right? Show me the money
1: I think too Like maybe to that point Perhaps the work spouse relationship In this movie is not Dorothy And Jerry but Rod and Jerry
0: Yeah That would be I'm much more comfortable with that With that reading
1: Because he's actually the one who's confiding In him uh, Jerry to Rod The difficult the the issues that he's having with intimacy, like the person who calls him out on like why'd you marry this single mom like you're a dick is Rod, and I think that that's kind of the the thing that's you know when I'm complaining to Elise about something whether it be work or personal you know looking for that candid feedback of like why'd you do that dick thing is sort of the point.
0: I'm gonna put forward a criticism, and then I think Elise, in particular, you should respond to it because you've alluded to this already. Um, I think that Tom Cruise is incredibly entertaining in this film. Um, it is terrific. It's always terrific. whether I mean, going back to going back to like Rain Man, um, to see him. Like thwarted for long stretches because like he's just someone for whom nothing ever goes wrong in the end, like including in movies now he just keeps on trucking and it keeps going great. Um, so just like seeing him lose every client, the visual uh, manifestation of like all the the busy or the calls on the on the conference call thing just going dead is terrific. Um, the him as a Like romantic lead is something that we have not seen in years Probably not since the Oprah couch jump Like his He plays pretty much very neutered characters For the last like 10 or 15 years Um, And there's a part of me That uh, when he's like snapping the straps On Renee Zellweger's dress And just smelling her That I'm like this is I, I I can't go back to a time With Tom Cruise on this one It's just it's too psycho and uncomfortable for me to get to get with um
2: don't worry i sure can
0: great please explain how you live with yourself
2: um i mean yeah putting aside the the scientology and the couch jumping of it all um you know this requires some mental gymnastics for sure but this is a testament to cameron crowe's Skill in those moments. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm not seeing it as he snaps Dorothy's dress. This is both broadcast news and Jerry Maguire have a really decent amount of caressing. True. It is very um, like, it's not female gaze. It, it's, um, but it is, these are all, to my mind, intimate scenes that really, I think, play well and not skeezy like they they just i think dorothy is throughout the whole thing shocked that she's landing this guy who is manic um and getting his concentrated uh physical and emotional infection affection in those moments and they're quiet moments and they linger and i think that that's why it's She falls so immediately and gets all digmatized and the next day is just talking about how she's in love because this is a guy whose attentions are really hard to focus. And yet for those whatever hours, she's got him and the full intensity that Tom Cruise brings to bear, but directed at her. And I think you don't necessarily have that emotional thrall unless you also have the attendant features that are leading to couch jumping. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's her being able to harness the manic elements that Tom Cruise brings to the table and have them be propulsive and completely focused on intimacy and physical intimacy and also fun and play like he laughs a lot. That scene where they get together um, and there's the jazz music and it's so perfectly shot Um, and it's so fun. And then he says, this is going to change everything. And she just says, do you promise? It's that's exactly what she wants. And she realizes halfway through that actually it's like a projection of his affections for her kid landing on her. And that's I think the central conflict here in this romance but yeah I think that that what I know of Tom Cruise's energy still works here in this context I don't
0: dispute bangable I dispute waking up in the morning and being like Ah. I I think I think you'd wake up in the morning and be like that was fun he smelled me for a long time on the porch (laughs) A lot of porch smelling.
2: No, smelling on the porch was perfection. All righty.
0: <laughs> to each their own. Um, maybe you okay. should be
1: smelling more, Chance. Maybe it's maybe it's more of a you problem.
2: That's the move.
1: Damn. All right. Smell on the porch.
0: Okay. All right, I'll try.
1: Um, Can I throw out one, two, two things that I thought were like agent d unrealistic? Please. One and Elise and I have seen this uh, in our professional lives, if someone no longer works for the agency, they are not given their full phone book and email and access to their office for the rest of the day (laughs) to try to steal clients from the company from which you've just been fired. So the whole show me the money sequence should have happened at like a coffee bean somewhere else while he's trying to scramble to find... uh, you know, the the right numbers for people because he's lost access to his Rolodex.
0: We wish them well. What was your other observation, though? We wish them well. <laughs> it wasn't a fit. I thought the Rod,
1: like, unconscious, and then going on a... I just didn't feel like... Would that be the move to get him paid? Like, is to... Have a horrible injury happen and then be a huge, like, penalty-inducing showboat in the last two minutes of a playoff contention game. I just didn't see that being the thing that's like, oh, now he's going to get the Nike deal and the $11 million contract because he just continues to be the kind of dick that he's been the whole time.
0: Yeah, I don't know if the... I'm not sure Rod's character makes... Sense in that respect because I think he's he's in the conversation of that kind of like Terrell Owens Randy Moss the beginning of that like showboat superstar NFL primetime wide receiver but I think the movie is also arguing that he um, what does Dan Deardorff say he's like he's been truculent with the media all year (laughs) like his thing is that he doesn't have enough of a profile because he won't come out of his shell and, like, won't come out of his shell is a preposterous characterization for Cuba Gooding Jr.'s relationship to Tom Cruise for totally. the rest of this movie. It's an odd balance. And he's also like, I won't dance um, because that's – he doesn't really put a political label on it because it's – because, like, I'm not going to perform that way for, like, a, a, a white power structure above me. But then it's like, no, 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 but you love to dance because it's who you are, Rod. Come on. You're it's, always It's dancing. awkwardly yeah. balanced. One thing we didn't talk about is this movie is just, like, next-gen broadcast news because James L. Brooks was Cameron Crowe's mentor. James L. Brooks uh, produced this movie. And I think Cameron Crowe is a little... He might be a little bit more of a sap than James L. Brooks, if that's possible. Just the way he, like, cranks up the sentimentality on the, like uh Ray and Dorothy watching the dad kiss the kid and the wife goodbye at the airport like Cameron Crow- if if you walk away from this movie understanding only one thing Cameron Crowe wants you to understand like these people want a dad <laughs> now um I find the thumb to be a, maybe a little bit too hard on the tonal scale in those moments. But like, there's no doubt that like Tom Cruise and Lipnicki have like a fun chemistry. And I find it particularly fun that I think because Lipnicki's name is Ray, uh, fucking zoo's closed Ray is just something Tom Cruise says in Rain Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he can you can borrow a line from either movie and it can be about Rain Man or it can be about little Ray. Uh, Also,
2: is this really a movie, like, now that you're talking, is this really a movie about searching for dad?
0: There's the interesting
1: juxtaposition, too, on Jerry's kind of small orbit and searching for family, and Renee Zellweger searching for family, and then you see like the Regina King is the matriarch of the Tidwell family and how. And the
2: Tidwell family is so collected. and It's so and collected.
1: It's a, they're all watching the game together. They're all like, you know, I mean, there is the certain, the economics of it, of that Rod's success kind of dictates how successful this larger group is. But at the same time, there's like a warmth and, Like, I think Regina King's incredible in the phone call scene when Jerry calls her from the field when Rod's unconscious of like, this doesn't work without him. And that, I think, becomes the catalyst for Jerry to think about, like, who do I need? Like, if I were unconscious in some capacity or if I were compromised, like, who would be this person on the other end of the phone saying it doesn't work without
0: me? Let's rate Jerry Maguire, guys. Should we do the same? Let's do the same circle. Noah, you want to start?
1: I'm going to say that this is a soft, bad good. I think that for being the length that it is, there is kind of that feeling when you bite into a cookie and it's like it's good because it's kind of mushy. But maybe the center is like not fully cooked through yet kind of Mm. thing it's not unenjoyable it's not like entertaining in that sense you know I think there's a lot of great sequences there's a lot of great chemistry there's a lot of great performances in here but I think there is something as you mentioned like the crow's tendency to like find that saccharine visual image to kind of be like don't you understand she's looking for someone to raise her child with her you know it's just like a little heavy handed and then yeah I think the movie has trouble deciding whether it like wants to give Renee Zellweger the agency, no pun intended, to, I don't know, like make an active choice to be with Jerry, not just to be grateful that he has affection for her finally directed towards her. And then whether it is more about this guy coming to terms with, this is how I succeed in this professional context. So I don't know that it quite adds up to a, cohesive whole for me but i enjoyed watching it especially with my rod tidwell uh it's a bad good
2: uh no being a troll good good um this movie there are movies that i go back and forth about uh especially like from this time um like i i change my mind every single time i watch goodwill hunting and sure. i'm like okay, this has big problems or it's great, actually. What was I thinking? And this one was one where I've noticed flaws in the past or I've noticed, like, um, either tonal dissonance or, like, you know, oh, that was a interesting um, or experimental editing choice. And maybe it's because the bar was on the floor after seeing Elvis. But um, I thought that this movie holds up. This movie has such depth it's layered and I think that for being expansive and long it's really economical in the dialogue and in the way in which it uses these the the editing does such a good job of kind of like really keeping a lot of plates spinning and a lot of balls in the air but making it feel like it is part of a cohesive whole and having you know like dickie fox and and these lessons and these benchmarks in a way that i think propels the movie forward and honestly like the other thing is that i watching it this time i was just like oh this movie is like way sexier than i remember it being too
0: I would love to get somewhere in the middle of those two ratings. I think there was a part of me coming in that was going to argue that you look at the script one way, the way the film unfolds, borders on incoherent, like the 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 philosophies that Jerry puts forward in the mission statement are never really tested by the movie in terms of like, would you like to take on another client? Would you like to compromise yourself? Would you like to stand by this thing that you did? And I think that the Dorothy character's kind of singular attachment to like, I like you because of what you wrote. And even when the Tidwells are asking me why I like you, it's like, you got to read this thing. It's so inspiring. This is why I like him. Um, I'm not sure that was carried through. But at least your argument, and I guess, no, you put this forward too, that like, it's, it's really more a scene of like, it's the relationship with Rod that is, can you put can you put your money where your mouth is by dealing with this client when you say that this is the kind of agent that you are? I buy that a little more. Um, it's much less precise than broadcast news, um, so it, it 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 maybe suffers just from that that this morning's juxtaposition. Um, yeah, I'll give it a soft, good, good like a coward. 2015, the intern. 70-year-old
1: widower Ben whitaker that's a mouthful, has discovered the retire- that retirement isn't all it's cracked up to be. Seizing an opportunity to get back in the game, he becomes a senior intern at an online fashion site founded and run by Jules Austin.
0: Okay, Benjamin, I'm going to ask you one of our more telling questions for all of our interns, so I want you to, like, this is the one to really think about, okay? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? When I'm 80. And I know myself. The world is remember a few weeks ago we talked about the senior intern program seniors in
2: high school or college
0: no 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 no. seniors in life
2: hold on what that's
0: our founder and ceo jules austin
2: any tips before i go in blink blink
0: she hates when people don't blink it weirds her out
2: hi jules i'm ben your new intern
0: i'm glad you also see the humor in this be hard not to i will email you when i have something for you to do
2: i'll wait to hear from you sir i'm terribly sorry excuse me So you're Jules' new driver? No, actually, I'm her intern. That's hysterical. Mandarin intern keeps busy. Mr. Congeniality. Everybody loves him. You should dress to impress. Tuck in the shirt. Why doesn't anybody tuck anything in anymore? Oh, I'm asking you. I'm Fiona, the house masseuse. Thank you. Huh. How's that been? Well, that Oh, boy. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs>
1: Elise and I like went through the, the basically the whole movie, and I don't know that a black person has a line,
2: not a single line. Also, like you've got um, replicants, which is the guy who looks like Andrew Rannells and is also in this movie. Oh, Adam uh, Devine.
1: Adam Devine. Adam Devine. Yeah.
2: So the fact is that you got two clones, like you you've got people who are both identical, and then. Yeah, and then you have it in this workplace in Brooklyn. It's uh, it strains credulity. Sure. But maybe this is realistic for the. No, and I were talking about how this is the height of the girl boss era. Sure. Um and and that vision and so maybe there is uh, a realism to it because I'm sure that there were companies left and right that were exactly this. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's part of the
0: Nancy Myers universe. Yeah, and it comes with like a lot of. I mean, her whole thing is sort of these like bourgeois utopian pleasures of like, you, you know, the the constant joke about Nancy Myers like, look at this wonderful kitchen, and this movie has a wonderful kitchen. Um, there's no traffic in this movie. Um, life is yeah, easy. They that always way. find a
1: spot for the Audi right in front of the brownstone. <laughs>
0: But the big one, the biggest one for me that was like, this is so Nancy Myers in terms of like the problems of the world do not exist. You guys, there's never a mention or conversation about whether any of the internships are paid or unpaid.
2: We figured unpaid. I I kind of just, I felt strongly about, I mean, the overarching question for me about the intern has been, is this a functional company? Like there's so much, the, the conflict at the center is, is Jules running this well? Is she running it into the ground? Right and I have to uh, take and there's so much place on visual cues. It being an Nancy Myers, maybe like, well, that desk is messy. Ergo, we need to go and bring <laughs> in somebody, some new leadership. And I also the entire time was saying to Noah, everything that they're talking about in terms of problems with the vendors, problems with the inventory, you can hire a better COO. There's there's no conversation about deputizing anything. I mean, the big problem that they level at Jules is that she's so in the weeds and she's just so focused on the aesthetics of, you know, the website and everything like that, which is, you know, part and parcel of being an engaged CEO. And her time is is divvied into five-minute incre- increments. But I'm just looking around saying, like, man, this, you know, there need to be better consiliaries mm-hmm. around her first if if she's gonna really shine, um, in this, by the way, one of a kind vision for an e commerce site where the clothes fit well, it's it's workplace basics and people can't get enough because of the darting. And, they also have wedding know, apparel, placement. I think. Oh, they also have yeah, they also have wedding apparel. They um and you know boots that are either the boots you need to have or the boots you're always going to remove from your cart but either way people can't get enough of this very 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 special e-commerce site where the clothes are really really basic but they but y'all they fit i mean that what is what is you I...
0: Like she keeps saying, you need to be able to zoom in on the clothes. Like, is there anything special about this website compared to shopping online the, for any?
2: The clothes are completely unremarkable. It's a very like Ann Taylor Loft kind of thing, um, but it being mass market, I would imagine that I can only imagine that I would buy several shirts from Just The Fit and think these don't fit at all. Sure. What a bummer.
0: Uh, we've only ever done one Nancy Myers movie on the show. Noah, do you remember what it was? We had a fight about it. Uh, something's got to give. Nope. The holiday. It was the holiday. It ended with you saying I was a heartless piece of shit. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think That's... that this is gonna end much the same way because I got issues with Nancy Myers.
0: Sure. Um, and I think
2: Noah. I think this is ex- extremely Noah's shit.
0: For sure. Um, I think this movie is significantly better than the holiday, though. For folks who need a little refresher, Nancy Myers, Private Benjamin, Father of the Bride, Parent Trap—it's complicated. Um, Something's got to give. So, a long, another, another like rom-com stalwart, uh, known for the, yeah, the things that we say. Very clean lines, uh, good execution. Uh, characters who have real champagne problems and just need to work through some relationships. Uh, Elise, do you want to You want get into your beef?
2: I mean, Nancy Myers movies, first of all, I'm a huge huge Nora Ephron uh-huh. stan. Sure. Nora Ephron movies are my favorite movies for the most part. They have the most rewatchability. I never find myself turning back to a Nancy Myers movie. I know that they're supposed to have the same atmospherics, the same kind of casual ease. You're supposed to be you know, oh, this is like a warm sweater and a fall day. It never does that for me structurally. I always find myself missing something really vital, um, being confused about the romantic elements, not really understanding why anybody's attracted to anybody else. Um, the Of the movies that you just named, the one that I think works the best is The Parent Trap. But everything else, I typically... Um, I, I saw something's got to give for the first time really recently, and everybody had just talked ad uh, nauseum about how lovely it is, and I find that I I didn't like the outcome at all. I like I I was not I, I always find there to be something lacking in the endings, to the extent that I watched the Intern on a Plane. And the plane landed and there was still unbeknownst to me probably about five minutes left in the movie. But I went and ran home and, you know, rented it because I thought I gotta see the second half of this film. And then it ended five minutes later, and I was like, wait a second, there's so much that I don't understand here. Um and yeah, the ultimate choices that these people typically make in going back to mediocrity in the name of love. I am never, it just, it never really works for me. I love the kitchens. There's no denying.
1: I will agree with Elise that this movie, for example, I, I don't know if it's Nancy Meyer's writ large, but it's definitely this movie. It doesn't have a climax. Like, it doesn't have the scene where um, Anne Hathaway goes in to talk to the board and is like, listen, this is my company. Like, we're successful because of me. Like, we just need someone. Like, what the fuck is Andrew Rannells up to professionally? Like, can he be COO? Like, instead of, you know, twiddling his thumbs about how they need some male older CEO to come in and write the ship, like... And so I think you kind of need that scene of her winning, like this whole experience with getting the, you know, the wisdom from Robert De Niro, you know, and the kind of company man that he represents or whatever, and also, you know, having her eyes open to the denial she's in about her home life, you know, I just don't what does it add up to? Like a a weird hug with you know, Anders Holm in the conference room and then they're doing yoga together. Like I don't, where's the, where's the, you know, the explosion at the end.
2: And also just to say the, what a perfectly cast husband, what a grating, just <laughs> miserable guy to be married to, in my opinion.
0: See, I think that she's trying to, and I, I regret talking about Anders Holm before we talk about Robert De Niro, but let's go ahead and do it. Cause you brought it up. Um, I think that Nancy Myers is going too on the nose with the casting there of like a a kind of lackadaisical millennial guy and athleisure whose masculinity has been threatened to the point that he is so boring. I think she's trying to make such a point with the casting there that that part of the, the compelling parts of the movie just kind of buckle there because Anders Holm is just so not compelling i give me a give me he a no
2: sex appeal or anything he needs like he, there's no edge whatsoever give me a jake lacy
0: so, or a chris messina in that part basically
2: oh yeah chris messina for sure i think that like jake lacy would be un, to my mind unwatchable like <laughs> oh my god i gotta punch this face now it's all so tender so soft so safe so, um, you know, in our gorgeous brownstone that it's really hard to see, like, well, what's there to fight for if not the ease of the kid logistics here? I mean, that's the bottom line is, like, she's going to go and make it work with her husband so that she can go and have the company um, run as it should with her at the helm. And so that she doesn't have to worry so much about drop off. And that's what it comes down to. And that's very realistic And that's not in any way illegitimate. But I wish that she had just turned to Robert De Niro and said, like, I'm excited to plow through with my sexless marriage and um, (laughs) where we don't really talk about anything because he is a really excellent caregiver. And that's the end of that. But instead, she's like, but I love my husband. And I'm like, and why? Why?
0: (laughs) Can we talk about De Niro? I feel like, I mean, he kind of is the center Of the movie Um, And it's just so The thing that really struck me this time Is that people don't write Parts for him anymore Like this side of him doing Like The comedies of the late 90s Most of the time when De Niro shows up in a movie It's purely as a signifier Of his prior roles He is the Italian tough guy Who's gonna give you a look and beat you up And Nancy Myers wrote him, like, a whole part about, um, you know, his grief and how fastidious he is um, and just, like, what he wants out of the world and, like, what his hopes are. And he's got all these little mannerisms. Um, He's wearing this kind of, like, soft little smile throughout the entire movie that, like, I've never seen in any other De Niro part. He's never been asked to be kind of... uh, Cute in an intriguing and sometimes implacable way before. It's it's really great and his dialogue Fantastic. is wonderful. Do you guys the one I wanted to shout out, when he gets the email, do you do you guys remember what Robert De Niro says when he gets an email? He just goes, Hey, got one. Which I thought is the cutest I I think we should all, when we're bombarded by emails on Monday morning, be so lucky as to be like, hey, a little lifeline to the world. That's cute. <laughs>
2: I love the candor and the diplomacy yeah. that he, you know, that he brings to the table. He is so good at I mean, he's a great agent. He is so good at gently suggesting a trajectory for Jules and monitoring her overall emotional state and being quietly interested in service for service's sake and also to be um you know, so self-actualized as to also be able to say, yeah, maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm trying something new. I'm putting myself into a new situation. I'm going to do it with a I'm kind. I'm finding myself in moments of discomfort, but I'm not losing my mind. All of that stuff is so warm. And this is also kind of not dissimilar from Steve Martin, in it's complicated Mm -hmm. i think nancy myers is really good at writing this man
1: it is a really great well-rounded character that like does the intellectual work of you know that question of like what do we what do we have to learn from the olds uh especially it's such a weird like time capsule of a movie and a performance too because like so many things will change about our resentments towards this specific generation and towards like this kind of being a company man kind of philosophy and whether that's sustainable. Like I think his finances are interesting too. Like of course he bought his red hook house, you know, whenever and, has walked to work for fifty years or whatever, you know. And I, I think too, he kind of the, the movie doesn't really interrogate the fact that he is the last of a a dying breed of people who like bought homes with their middle management jobs and lived comfortably nearby and built community and whatnot. Um, so like, it's kind of a bittersweet thing of like he has this this sort of innocence because he's he has not had to. Do the millennial intern hustle yet?
2: Oh, and he's being chased by hot women.
1: Ah, Rene Russo.
2: Beautiful feet. Let's be real.
1: How did we feel about the like all the boner
0: jokes? There are were moments in the movie where I think just because Nancy Myers felt it needed to be a perhaps broader comedy or have broader appeal, where it just goes into zaniness with the heist. And the, like, when she's giving him that very inappropriate IT band massage in the chair. Um, And then, yeah, the sort of, like, blowjob misunderstanding. Um, I don't think they, those things didn't, they didn't bother me a ton, but they don't sit very easily in the movie. They stand out.
2: uh, A a workplace that is so good that they've got an on-site barista and an on-site masseuse. Yeah would hopefully also cover its bases when it comes to really ubiquitous workplace sexual harassment.
0: (laughs) Didn't exist in 2015, apparently. Yeah, I
2: guess. Yeah, yeah. The very last moment before people knew
0: that was going to happen. Right. But I really liked the De Niro performance a lot. I do think Anne Hathaway is good. At least I agree with you that basically when she gets to that hotel room scene and kind of breaks her kind of breaks down right in the middle of the like well he would get remarried and we both know that i'm not easy and she kind of chokes up on that line that's her version of the of jane and broadcast news being like no it's awful about being the smartest person in the room um those those moments are great um i think the representation of millennials is sort of like ignorant and 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 lame just like the dudes around the office like what their dynamic is mostly like I like your outfit, man. And then they like do a high five. Like that's what Nancy Myers thinks of, of people in. Their I love that moment
1: where De Niro gives that one guy the gift of like, now, sir, I'm going to introduce you to what's called a button down shirt. <laughs> it's very much in your you know knowledge base because it's a product that the company you work for sells. But interesting, if you just yeah. Put on a very tight white button down shirt. That's that's all it'll take to meet. Uh, Jay-Z It's all about the fit
0: Um, Yeah So It's got its strengths And it's It's got some pretty Severe weaknesses The The husband thing Was just like a real Sticking point for me On both Both times I've watched this Like just It's impossibly lame Um, Which is a bummer And that's where like The The two hours And five minutes Like it can't Quite stand up to that Just that black hole Of charisma In her home life (laughs) Um, Can I I'll go ahead and give it uh, Bad Good.
1: Bad Good. Huh. Elise, what do you think?
2: I'm also a Bad Good person with The Intern. There was something that was missing to me in the total quotient in a way that Nancy Myers just does not reflect a reality that makes sense to me. I've never felt grounded in a Nancy Myers movie. There's always something where I have big question marks in the end. How did it all work out? But why did we want it to work out in this way? Like, it's so (laughs) fundamental. It's so fundamental to me because it's not just, oh, we're lacking some key dialogue to get us to that, um, that place. But routinely, I feel like the ultimate choices, quote unquote, made in the name of love, are ones where there's such mediocrity at the center of the romance that i just because doesn't it's in it's complicated isn't she i cannot even remember she's happy with keanu reeves and then decides well, it's complicated actually, i know it's complicated but i <laughs> i all i remember is thinking oh no don't go with that one i wanted you to go with the other one um and that's something that's like,
1: something's got to give though that you're thinking of Right. Something's
2: got to get right. Yeah. I, and you I seem think to be I, having
1: um, trouble identifying what that something is. Well,
2: she wanted, yeah. she ends up with Jack Nicholson, doesn't she? Yeah. I wanted her to end up with Keanu Reeves. That was totally a workable same. relationship. Hard same.
1: Hard They're even in Paris together. It's fucked up. Yeah.
2: It's, they're having a great time. It's they seem ridiculous. to be having a
1: great time.
2: Yeah. She tend
0: When she does a love triangle, they tend to be, I guess, um, very isosceles. There's like, even in The Parent Trap... With the uh, the Victoria, the evil stepmom, it's just oh, like a ludicrous. Why? Why? It's like there's nothing. Why bother with that one?
2: Why bother? Yeah, I mean, in that one, obviously, we could go and spend two hours talking about that fucked up custody arrangement and why it makes sense for every for all parties to come together so that siblings could know of each other's existence. But I think, yeah, in general, I always feel like, oh, she just lands them in the wrong spotty, and for and in a world in which they've got such economic plenty that they could ostensibly have the freedom to do whatever their heart desires.
1: Fine. I agree with you that it's bad, good. I had a nice time watching it with Elise. I feel like I am the Robert De Niro to her Anne Hathaway, and that was the perfect expression of like what we have going on professionally. Elise, I just want to make it clear that even though we identify each other as work spouses now, like if you were to leave the agency, I would have nothing to do with you.
2: Yeah, well, I I I I keep my work spouses close. My enemies closer. Yeah.
0: I wish you guys yeah. a long and placid work marriage. Free falling. <laughs>